0: to Reckoning, a podcast that explores the hidden sides of gender-based violence. I'm Catherine Kosmetis the founder and CEO of Garbo and your host. Garbo is a non technology startup on a mission to proactively prevent gender-based crimes in the digital age. To learn more, visit www.garbo.io. Before we jump in, I'd like to warn our audience that we have raw Honest conversations about gender-based violence, which may be too much for some listeners. Please put your safety and health above all else when listening. Welcome, Vincent. Vincent White is from the firm White, Hilferty & Albanese. Vincent, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the firm?
1: I'd be happy to, and thank you so much for having me. Uh, White, Hilferty & Albanese is an employment litigation firm. We represent victims of workplace discrimination, workplace sexual harassment, um, and we do it in all 50 states. And somewhere along the way, we became, I think, the largest in our space. We represent more victims of you know, workplace discrimination and sexual harassment than anyone else in the country. And we try to keep our field of practice very, very narrow, right? It's, it's a hyper-specialized area. We want to be sure that we can be up-to-date moment-to-moment on the changes in the law, the changes in best practices and the best tactics we can use to help our clients. Uh, as for me, I, I worked in employment law my entire adult life, and the nicest uh, compliment I ever had in my industry was the commissioner of Major League Baseball, who called me irrationally aggressive on opening day in 2016.
0: Irrationally aggressive. That is that is great. Uh, for a lawyer, I think that's exactly kind of what you want to be.
1: I, I think so. I believe he felt it was an insult, but I was touched.
0: I was touched. That's great. That's great. Well, today we're going to be talking about sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, It's obviously your expertise. So kind of diving right in, can you tell us first, what is sexual harassment?
1: You know, it's any interaction that's motivated by attraction and, and is unwelcome. In, in terms of the workplace, it's any sexualized phrase, any motion, any anything that would make the recipient of that action feel, hey, this is not a professional interaction. This is someone objectifying me, sexualizing me in a way that I'm not comfortable with.
0: And you kind of mentioned a few, but what are some types of non-obvious sexual harassment? It,
1: it, there's so many, right? We always hear about the, the classic, the massage guy, right? This guy in the lunchroom. Oh, you look stressed. Let me rub your shoulders. That's clearly sexual harassment. It's clearly inappropriate. It's clearly so very creepy, right? But there's the slightly more subtle things. The um, the coworker who's a little too interested in your personal relationships, who lets you know, oh, you're too good for your boyfriend. Or that weirdo who says, uh, you know, you could really have any man if you wanted. You just have to say so. Well, thanks, man. But nobody asked you. You know, I mean, why are we talking about... These things that are not tied to the workplace, that are not really the fodder of normal water-cooler discussions, um, they're above and they're beyond. These lingering hugs, oh, I'm a hugger, I'm a hugger. Well, no, you're a hugger if, if the person who is going to receive the hug wants to be hugged. Otherwise, you're just someone basically committing assault at that point, right? And I know that sounds aggressive for me, but there's there's people who've been through a great deal in their lives, and having someone touch them who they don't want to touch them, can be an incredibly traumatic experience. So I don't really think it's unreasonable to say you know, the hugger is a form of sexual harassment in certain situations, right? Um, there's always the boss who will offer workplace advantages, but will dangle it you know as as like a temptation and then maybe try to get some kind of flirtation out of that, some kind of affirmation compliments, things of this sort. Even really to me, forcing one on one after hours socialization with coworkers, you know, or the non work texting. Oh, we're, we're just really close. So I text you. Well, but you're my boss. So I can't really not respond. So it's like I'm always, always on the hook and you have me at your beck and call, even though I may not choose to do that. Right.
0: I'm sitting here nodding my head, thinking about all of the, the stories that I've heard, the stories that I've experienced. Um, and, and so I think that those are truly incidents that happen every day at workplaces. And, and many folks might not think that they're being sexually harassed.
1: It's true. And, and you know, the big thing, you're going to laugh at me. When I got in this industry as a young man, I would have believed 10% of women experienced sexual harassment that's that's how stupid i was and then it came to came to be i mean essentially all women all women are experiencing sexual harassment yes. and about 4% of them are complaining right and that blew my mind and i think it even took me a while to accept i i think i was not even understanding the scope of it for a significant period of time and and that's that's a huge failing on my part
0: I think it's just the, the, the reality, like you said, every woman experiences this in some form at some point during their career. And it's, it's folks like you who help them navigate this system. So what is the very first thing someone should do if they have been sexually harassed?
1: Right off the bat, document everything. The minute you feel uncomfortable, the minute you're in a safe space, start jotting down notes. What was said? What was done? Who was present? How did you feel? How might you corroborate this? What time of day was it? Everything, right? You can never record too much. These are things that are going to be good for you if someone gaslights you, tries to make you feel like you're making a mountain out of a molehill, right? Like it, it's, it's an affirmation of your own recollection because the human mind does not remember all that well. And also it might be something someday you give to HR or you give to an attorney, or you use to defend yourself, right? So document, document, document. And then the next thing I would do is call an attorney, not because you're suing right away. You're not. But anyone in this field worth their salt should be thrilled to speak to you free of charge, informally, go over your options, go over what you're experiencing, tell you, "Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's really inappropriate. I think I'm not your friend. So I'm going to give you the straight answer. I do think it's real or, hey, you might be a little off base here, right? I mean, that's valuable. I've had people call me up and say, hey, uh, one of my coworkers revealed to me that he's asexual and I feel threatened by that. And I, I couldn't, And I, on the phone call, I'm like, well, what do you mean? Why, why does that threaten you? What's, what she felt, what she believed he had said was that he was an incel, which, is a, which mm. is a phrase you know tied to men who might believe women owe intimacy to men, right? It's not what he said he said asexual. Very different thing, right? So it was really valuable to her that she got to talk that out without going to HR, without making a potential misstep for someone who actually disclosed just a fact about himself that, you know, probably not sexual harassment at that point.
0: No, that that makes total sense. And I think, yeah, having that uh, non friends to go to and have an honest conversation is so important. Um, after, after they talk to you, what, what is the next step? Do you recommend them reporting? Do you recommend them, you know, leaving their job or, or what is that next step? Well,
1: you always have to build the plan based on what the client wants or the, the person experiencing the sexual harassment, what they want, if they want to stay, then you might construct a plan to go to HR to address the situation, to go step by step without hiring an attorney, right? Now, sometimes it's not what they want. Sometimes they want a paid exit. They've had enough. They just don't trust these people anymore. They're afraid of retaliation. And in those situations, you might not go to HR. You might not give HR the chance to meddle in things and destroy evidence and try to talk to witnesses, right? You might just start with a case and it's it's going to come down to what is best in the eyes of the plaintiff.
0: That makes total sense. I think it's so good to hear you empowering the victim rather than kind of forcing your plan onto them and forcing them to become a, um, a, a client of yours um, to actually empower them to make their own decision.
1: Yeah, in in reality, there's just not enough employment attorneys in the United States. So there's no shortage of claims. There is a lot of states, a lot of states where if you are the victim of sexual harassment and you go online to find someone, you might find no one local. You'd be calling a firm like us who will be eventually airdropping in attorneys to handle your trial someday, right? But that means that locally in entire swaths of the country, you have no one to talk to.
0: That's insane. that's incredibly insane. And as you said, one hundred percent of women are experiencing this, only four percent as as you mentioned are are reporting. But you know, I think that with with the way that culture is moving and hopefully even episodes like this and and just the the way the news cycle is working is, is that more people do start reporting what is happening to them
1: absolutely, and it, it's such a personal choice. Right, no one, it's no one's job to report. If reporting's not right for you, then it's not right for you. But the people who do stand up and fight back, they're doing a real service for everyone else. There's no doubt about that.
0: That's super powerful that it's not your job to report, and that goes for any sort of incident sexual assault, domestic violence, sexual harassment. It's not your job to report. But if you can take that step, if you have the privilege to take that step and the power to take that step, it can truly change lives and prevent the next victim from occurring.
1: It really can. I've seen entire organizations change because of one brave woman.
0: Exactly, exactly. So after they talk to you and you formulate this plan, um, what's, what happens next? So if they go to HR and HR does nothing or immediately retaliates against them, kind of what are the, the next steps in, in the process?
1: So it's always depressing to see a company not do the right thing, right? Because it's, it, even if their own self-interest was going to guide their action, they would, they would address the problem and fix it, but often they don't. Often they attack the person complaining, Right. So at that point, um, the case has really gotten more valuable. Retaliation gives rise to its own form of damages, punitive damages, in all 50 states. And at that point, you're not really safe in the workplace anymore. It makes sense to hire an attorney for most people. And a lot of people would come back and say, well, but I don't want my name out there. But there are private dockets that are not going to show up on search engines, not going to show up in background checks, not going to have to be disclosed to future employers if they ask you if you've ever sued a prior employer. There there are places to go to file that will not end your career, that will not harm you in the long run.
0: I think that's really powerful because that is a major fear. Um, there's this woman, Jessica Kasucci. She was at, um, I don't want to misquote it, I will put this in the episode when I remember what firm that that she was at, but one of the big four. And um, she finally sued um, and sued very publicly. And, and a lot of media came out about it and it changed her life completely. She's now um, totally pivoted her career and is a consultant. Um, but it, it changed her life in reporting. But she also chose that path to be very vocal and very loud about it because she was t- 10 15 20 years of sexual harassment in in the workplace but it's so good to know that you can do it quietly and no one has to know besides the employer and that it's not as you said going to affect your next job or or your whole life you know
1: Absolutely and you mentioned the big 4 let's not forget Ernst and Young within the past 3 years had seminars for female executives on how they could avoid conflict with their male, their male peers, how they could perhaps be more servile in the boardroom and not have conflict. That was an actual seminar that was recorded and held by Ernst Young. It was one of the most insane things. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was fake. And then it turned out to be true. And that's a leading organization in this field, right? How, how does that happen?
0: Okay. I totally just Googled her name and it was Ernst Young. That yeah. it was the firm that that she sued
1: every single woman in Ernst and Young has a claim. They were literally having seminars teaching women how to interact with men so the men would not feel threatened.
0: I'm literally I mean, rolling my eyes. I don't even know what to say right now if that that was the approach that they took to the problem, which is just total victim blaming essentially
1: it was they characterized um. Oh boy, I, I try. I want to remember the quote because I don't want to misquote it. But they were doing word association, and they were characterizing um, women who break into conversations as overly aggressive, if I recall. Which, which is of course the male status quo. All, all men who are not trying really hard, unfortunately, in in the workplace, will often cut other people off. It's awful. We all need to work on it. It's horrible. But I turn it's fair play. If that's what's going on with the men, then the women certainly should be able to do that, too. And here they're having a class saying, well, you better not do that. But just for women.
0: It's, it's literally like laughable because it's so insane that that's the way that corporations handle this type of stuff.
1: It is. I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't.
0: Insane. Insane. Um so once someone hires hires an attorney, um what kind of are are the steps? Do you send them a letter, send them notice, kind of how how does the process work and what should the victim kind of expect to happen?
1: Well, every firm is going to be a little different. I can describe our process. We're going to immediately do an intake. We're going to assign you a team of three attorneys. Um We're going to make sure it's a team that you feel safe with, right? Sometimes there's some women who've been through a lot. They look at me, I look like the problem. Then I'm not going to be on their team. That's not fair, right? So you achieve that comfort level, you handle an intake, you make sure that you have all of the story, all all the documentation, all the details. That takes time because the human mind on the first pass through a story, they forget details. It's just how we work, just all human beings, right? So you wanna go through it a couple times. You wanna really work on it, get it exactly where you want it, and make it the most valuable, most compelling narrative you can. And then you reach out. You reach out to the other side. Generally, I like to do it on a Friday afternoon. I wanna rattle them. I wanna I want them to know I can reach in their lives and shake them around. And they they're not safe for me at happy hour. They're not safe for me at home with their kids, right? It's gonna go in their email box, hit their phone, and ruin their night. And that sounds nasty, but considering what they've done, I'm okay with it. It's a little sliver right, of what they visited upon someone else. And that letter is going to do a couple of different things. It's going to put in place a discovery freeze. It's also going to give them 10 business days to contact us about what they've done wrong if they want to negotiate. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. If they don't, you have to push forward with all the aggression you can.
0: And what is all of that aggression that you can push forward with?
1: Well, it always depends where you are. Every jurisdiction is a little different. So in every state, you can file with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Now, that's going to be one of those private agencies that I mentioned. Uh, And I I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on. But the advantage there is that your name is not going to pop up on Google. It's not going to pop up in a background check. And so it lets you activate the federal laws and start the process without, you know, talking to reporters, without being out there and putting yourself at risk in a way that you may not want to.
0: No, that, that makes total sense. Um, can you talk a little bit about, as you mentioned, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. Uh, what is an EEOC complaint and, and how does that, that process work? I, I know it's been thrown out there. Everyone says EEOC, um, but I don't think really anyone knows what, what it actually does and, and how the process works.
1: Well, there's, there's two EEOCs. There's the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission that was supposed to exist, that was created originally, and there's the partially defunct agency that exists today. Um, it was essentially an agency brought about to work on civil rights, work on workplace discrimination, push equality, and the plan was that they would do lots of enforcement work, lots of litigating on behalf of claimants, and that never really materialized. They were just never really funded or at least never really efficient about doing that. So what they came to be instead was kind of a vetting organization to stop cases from going directly to federal court. So before you can go to federal court, you have to file with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and you can get eventually your right to sue letter, which would kind of like your key to go on to federal court. But while you're there, generally what happens is private attorneys will use that agency as a stopping point where they can get discovery, they can mediate a case, they can hold negotiations and apply pressure and all these things. So as a standalone agency with the original purpose of directly helping victims, I think it's a failed agency. I don't think they do help most victims. And I think most people are very confused when they get a standard form letter telling them anywhere from two months to four years after they originally filed, they get this letter just telling them, oh, you're free to go on to federal court. No result here. We're not going to sign an attorney. We're not going to do anything for you. Good luck. That's mystifying to most claimants. If they're not represented by counsel, it's jarring. They often think they lost because nothing happened. They did not lose. Their case is still healthy in every way, but it's confusing, right? So in the hands of an attorney, I think, they, I think the commission is is valuable. It certainly has its uses. But if you're on your own, you're probably going to want to look at some of the state agencies if your state has one, because often in terms of enforcement, they're going to assign investigators. They're going to have fact-finding conferences. They're going to pull discovery. They might even give you a trial and a decision, all without ever being on a public docket. That might be what you want. That's available in New York. It's beautiful for many people. And it also helps people not to absolutely need an attorney. Right. Some people don't want to have to go that far. They want to do it themselves. They want to keep it small and they can do that with a more fully featured agency in their state.
0: That's great. Um, And some people can't afford an attorney. So are these um, claims often on contingency or, or how does it work if someone cannot afford to hire an attorney after they've been sexually harassed?
1: I always get very nervous about an employment attorney who wants to bill on an hourly basis. Um, This is a field where you should be thrilled to win your money, right? I mean, you're monetizing hate, for lack of a better phrase. So you should be going out there and ripping your money out of the other side. It's that simple. Now, we do offer hourly because there's people who come in who say, listen, I know I have a seven-figure claim. I know what it's worth. I don't want to give you a percentage. I'll pay you hourly. Okay, you're the boss. That's fine. But our preference will always be to work on a percentage and to cover the expenses of the case. Because many people, if, if you're a young woman who gets sexually harassed working at McDonald's, what, are you going to pay 500 an hour for an attorney?
0: That's mm-hmm. not
1: realistic. What is she going to do? You know what I mean? So firms like ours have to exist. They have to be willing to say, we got this. And if we don't win, we're not going to get paid. We have to assume the risk because, frankly, she's been through enough.
0: No, that, that makes total sense. What about these class action lawsuits that are happening? And you mentioned McDonald's and McDonald's is going through a sexual harassment class action lawsuit right now, I believe. Um, Excuse me if I'm misquoting, but I'm pretty sure that they are. And so what about groups of people coming together that have all been impacted by sexual harassment?
1: So those are tremendous in terms of the changes they can kind of render on a company, on the corporate culture. The downside to those is that the claimants generally get pennies on the dollar while the attorneys get fabulously rich, right? So if you're representing thousands of people, maybe 3,000 people in a case, right? And you achieve a settlement, they might get a couple hundred dollars each. Wow. But the attorneys the attorneys are going to walk away with millions. And listen, it doesn't mean the attorneys haven't done something good. They might have really taught that company a lesson. They might have really changed the face of a corporate culture. But we haven't really made the people who were harmed whole. And that's a problem to my mind.
0: That's interesting. I I really like that phrase, making a person who was harmed whole again. And that's really, I think, what filing against a sexual harasser is. It's not some vindictive power move, power play. It's that this person has been wronged. Someone has been wronged. And they are trying to make it right. And they are trying to fix the situation and and fix themselves and try and figure out what happened and why did this happen and how can I prevent it from happening again?
1: Absolutely. And that's what people want to ignore, right? There's a lot of people who want to say, oh, it's just women out there. It's a war on men. They're trying to get rich. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't be possible if a guy, in some scenario, hadn't tried to abuse a position of power to get some level of affirmation or intimacy, some some kind of sexualized benefit to himself. And it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be sex, obviously. Anything, whatever he's deriving, whatever causes him to want to do these things to a woman who he has power over in the workplace, it 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 harms her. It harms her mental well being harms your career, harms your earning potential. And I don't really see how anyone could let it go, frankly. It's going to change the path of your career. It's going to change your psyche. If you let that go, well, when do you stop letting it go? When do you decide to fight, right? It, it's a very strange thing. It's like being bullied on the playground. If you take it every day, eventually you kind of change a person. Because you let it go, you let it go, and you always got bullied. If you let it go and let it go, it changes you, it harms you.
0: Exactly. It does change you as a person. And, and as we mentioned, it, it, every woman is experiencing this and it's changing every woman. I know so many young women who have been impacted or or they say, this happened, I'm not sure and i am always like that was sexual harassment you know it it might not be the textbook case that, that you think of when you think of sexual harassment but it was sexual harassment and there are things that you can do about it and that's why i think this conversation is just so important to have to know that people have power to do things to make change
1: without question and and i think it's important to remember the attorneys they can't afford to just just agree with you right if if you describe a scenario I've had to do it. I've had to do it myself where I say, okay, listen, yes, I agree with you. That was inappropriate. I'm not going to be able to sell that to a jury. I don't believe I can win this for you yet. So I don't think you should bring a case yet, right? And that's a horrible conversation to have because I do think she's gone through something. I do think she's been wrong, but I have to keep her interests at heart and just say, well, it's not It's not there yet. What, what good is swinging if we don't think we're going to connect? Right, and and that's a very difficult conversation.
0: I'm sure that is a difficult conversation, and uh, yeah, I can only only imagine having that conversation. But then again, that's why you're not their friend; you're an attorney, and that's what you're there for is to provide that transparent kind of feedback on the situation.
1: You have to, you have to let them know what kind of leverage they have, what it might be worth, what the risks are. You can't substitute your judgment. These, these are intelligent human beings. They're going to make their own choices. Our firm is a tool, right? We we do the fighting for you, but you call the shots.
0: And once an EEOC complaint is filed, someone takes that step, which is a big step to, to take, which is basically that the, the organization is not doing their job to um, fix the situation. Um, how many companies then... Um, say oh no, no 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 we'll we'll settle or we'll do whatever you want because they don't want that kind of going public and they don't want an EEOC person coming to the office and investigating and things like that. The
1: settlement rate in this field is through the roof. It's very high uh, for a variety of reasons. One as you mentioned, people are trying to companies are trying to protect their brand, their public image, right? And that's very important. Nobody wants to be seen as this this horrible villain. But there's also kind of the The hidden secret that defense attorneys in this field, they're billing $1,100, $1,300 per hour, right? So if you pay the money to fight a case off, even if you win as an employer, you might end up paying more just, just to pay your attorneys, right? So knowing that you'll be seen as this monster and knowing how much it will cost you to fight off someone who's reporting, Right. Often the rational choice is we we should have a conversation. We should should look at mediation. We should look at settlement negotiations. Um, And we should have a conversation and see if we can get to a mutually acceptable solution, right? That's also often good for the plaintiff, for the victim of sexual harassment, right? Because she's got a career. She doesn't want to go to federal court and face a jury. She doesn't have the time. She's got better things to do, nor does she want her name cropping up on Google for the rest of her life every time she applies for a job. It's, so the settlements are often mutually agreeable with the confidentiality and the mutual non disparagement There's a lot that goes into it that lets everyone say, this is the best for me, which that means it's the best for everyone.
0: No, that, that makes total sense. Um and finally, can you give our listeners any last advice or information on sexual harassment, the reporting of it, um, the the filing of an EEOC complaint, any kind of last advice that, that you may have?
1: I would say talk to attorneys early and often and never feel like you owe them anything. Right. None of you owe us, none of us anything. Call us up. Hey, this just happened to me. It made me feel this way what do you think what should i do let's talk it through and anyone in our field who says anything but okay let's do that free of charge let's have that conversation they're not in the field for the right reason call someone else they will help you not just our firm any good firm with em- employing good attorneys will do that for you and have a conversation know your rights you might not use your rights you might say not right for me not today but every conversation you have going forward in that workplace you'll be informed. You'll be empowered. You'll have the ability to know where the where the line is and where you can start pushing back, right? I think that's invaluable.
0: 100%. I think knowing your rights is invaluable, and it's something that many folks just don't know. They don't know what they can do, what their power is, um, and, and their options. So I think that talking to an attorney is a, is a great option. So thank you so much for being on the show today and your very insightful comments. Um, really appreciate, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I I hope I was useful.
0: You were definitely.